2: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. It's very
0: difficult to keep the line between
2: the past and the present. you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being?
1: We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us.
0: Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it's shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Tasha Robinson, here again with Genevieve Kosky
2: and Scott Tobias.
0: Keith Phipps is out again this episode, trying to perfect his two-minute mile, but he'll be back on an upcoming episode, or maybe he'll be back on this one, but in a different timeline. Who's to say? Back in 2013, director Steven Soderbergh famously said he was retiring from cinema. He said that directors were treated so badly that he didn't want to make movies anymore. It's become a familiar joke since then to diss Soderbergh for how many projects he's made since his supposed retirement in pretty much the same way. It's fun to twit Japanese director Hayao Miyazaki for repeatedly declaring his retirement and then letting his love of cinema drag him back to the drawing board once more. But what a lot of those jokes miss is that Soderbergh actually has largely avoided the big screen projects he said he was quitting. He's made a TV show, The Nick. He's made films for Netflix and HBO, projects like the Liberace biopic Behind the Candelabra or the basketball behind-the-scenes feature film High Flying Bird. He's experimented with shooting on iPhones. He's experimented with the interactive HBO project Mosaic. He didn't actually say he was giving up being a director. He just said he wanted to give up Hollywood. And true to form... For the last nine years, he's followed his muse down a whole lot of different pathways, taking advantage of opportunities to tell wildly different kinds of stories in very different media settings, all without dealing with the parts of the business that he specifically said he was retiring from because he'd come to hate them. So the latest in that crop of experimental projects is the straight-to-HBO Max movie Kimmy, a 90-minute thriller starring Zoe Kravitz as an agoraphobic tech worker who hears evidence of a crime while she's monitoring user inputs for Kimmy, a voice-activated Alexa or Siri-style personal home assistant. When she tries to report that crime, she rapidly runs afoul of people at her company who want to cover it up. She ends up on the run, which is a difficult place to be for somebody who's afraid of open spaces. It's a brisk, colorful movie that's fairly intense and written by Panic Room screenwriter David Kapp, showing a whole lot of Panic Room DNA, among the many other movies that it resembles. We'll get into all that, uh, both those influences and in how they look on screen in this new package, after this break.
1: I'm a voice stream interpreter. I may have heard a crime on one of the streams. The devices pick up lots of
2: things. (laughs) Just mark this degraded audio and delete it.
1: I am not capable and you know it. I think a woman might need help. How do I find out who she is?
0: You need the device number and the admin code?
2: Will you make me one?
0: This is last favor, Clutchness. Close your
1: files, come to my office. We'll listen to the recordings together. Miss
2: Childs, I have to know what we're dealing with. We're dealing with what sounds like a premeditated murder. How do I know that? Because I just told you, twice now.
1: Maybe you've just replaced your real stresses with this. Can we please call the FBI? I understand that you've taken some mental health leave in the past. Why is that in my file? said you had her they did but now they don't
0: kimmy
2: bedtime lights
1: is using your own copy i emailed it to everyone i know this morning
0: kimmy i'm here so let's start at the top uh what did you guys end up thinking of kimmy
2: i mean i i absolutely loved it <laughs> i wow. mean this this movie is so in every possible way my thing it's just a, for one that the you know the kind of films that it is the playground that it is, uh, you know, running around in cinematically, you know, movies like Blow Up, Blow Out, The Conversation, uh, Rear Window, uh, all of that was fun. I find the interest in tech and privacy and a lot of those issues to be uh, fascinating also. You know, the soundtrack kicks ass, it's super tight. And one thing, of course, that I absolutely, that I really appreciated about it is that it takes place in the world in which we live. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like that's exhilarating to experience and it doesn't have to be a depressing reminder of whatever this dystopia or something that we're living through. It's like, no, this is this is our life. This is the our, this is our everyday life. This is this is you know we're, we're, we're people who, you know, wear masks and social distance and our lives have changed, but they're not necessarily defined by by entirely defined anyway by a pandemic um, or whatever state of the pandemic this movie takes place in. And that part of it was wonderful and so gracefully incorporated. I mean, it just felt like Soderbergh just on that front alone was just showing people how you can do this and how you should do it. And, I, and that I appreciate as well. So I, I just unreservedly loved it. And I thought in the end of the movie, the way the kind of double punch of the, of the soundtrack and that and this the, 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 the sort of jolt of humor that you get in the way this film concludes. It's almost like playful comic thriller that that sort of turns into at the end. I just I I wanted to applaud. I just I had such a great time with this movie. I loved it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it, nothing but har- uh, hearts from me.
1: Oh. I'll, I'll give it a few hearts, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked it a lot, and I, I think I was res- what I responded to most is kind of what Scott's getting at with it, like being a film set in in our world now is just like the immediacy of it, both in terms of the, its world, the, the world building it does, and just sort of its overall all ethos. You know, I think like my my quibble, and again, just a quibble, is that it feels like a movie that I'm not necessarily going to be. Thinking about uh, for a long time after after watching it, it feels like a a quick hit stimu- stimulation. But you know, and it, a stimmy? And I think, yeah, exactly, Kimmy, yeah. Um, and and that's that's totally fine. That's kind of like the premise of this pairing, you know. And I think that Kimmy, despite you know incorporating some like weighty ideas, doesn't necessarily. Do what Run Lola Run does, and sort of underline that these are big, weighty ideas, and they are important to do to the text here. You know, It feels like Kimmy just kind of let, let's lets them go, and that's fine. That's cool. Um, I don't need every uh, movie I watch to be a philosophical treatise. Maybe it's not even a flaw of the movie that I feel like it's not going to linger a long time. Maybe that that is not something that we need to expect of all of all films. Maybe that's a, a point of conversation for for this pairing in particular. But. I think just thinking about the movie, you know, a couple days after watching it, that's sort of what I'm left with It's like, I already feel like it's been a long time since <laughs> since I watched that movie. It's been less than 48 hours, and it already feels like a, a somewhat distant memory. So that's that's kind of what I'm I guess I'm wrestling with, uh, with with Kimmy. But overall, like I, I really liked it. I, I love Zoe Kravitz and kind of everything, but I I, I really like her here. I like how kind of. Brittle yet funny and charismatic, she is all simultaneously. Like she's this is obviously a a damaged, wounded character on 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 multiple levels, but there's just never any sense of pity that she evokes, which I think is is really uh, appealing and interesting, and from a performance standpoint. And yeah, I I like the I guess audacity of you know making this so clearly a. COVID era story, but not about COVID, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, it's something that we're we're seeing more and more attempts at, but rarely are they do they feel like compelling for doing that.
0: This is just so wild to me. I I've been kind of trying to understand the vast critical enthusiasm that I'm seeing for Kimmy, like the just like overwhelming (laughs) happiness. Around it, I mean, to some degree, I understand. Like, it's short and poppy and fun and well made, and it's February, and we could we could all use something like bright and outside right now. But that said, I feel like I'm a victim of uh, the Next Picture Show podcast. Here, I feel like <laughs> this movie might have gone over for me a lot better if we hadn't so recently seen The Woman in the Window and gone back and rewatched Rear Window. I kind of just felt like I was watching that movie again, except pared down even thinner uh, and just with with even like less thought given to the the characters and setting. And I was not fond of uh, The Woman in the Window and its execution. I I definitely think Kimmy is superior in that regard. But I just saw so little here that seemed unique, you know, that seemed like the kind of thing that I want from... A director that is known for like relatively unique statements. I, I feel like so much of this movie's DNA comes from Panic Room, from The Conversation, from Blowout, from uh, Rear Window. He's cited all of these different Roman Polanski films as inspirations, like Rosemary's Baby, which mostly takes place in one room.
2: Repulsion is a much stronger comparison in my opinion. It is a
0: much stronger comparison, but he's also cited like knife in the water. His his point there is not necessarily thematic so much as stories that are tied tightly to a single location and have a Mm -hmm. sense of claustrophobia. Mm -hmm. So there's just and this also very much brought up uh, for me the movie Copycat. So I just kind of felt like I was ricocheting from familiar idea to familiar idea. And because it's so spare, because it's so like bare bones simplified charge ahead, I didn't feel like the film really sat with any of its ideas or or experiences for long. You know, there's a panic room-esque segment towards the end, but it's so small and short, you know, because we're barreling through the the finale of a 90-minute film. It didn't have time to make me feel the sense of threat, really. A lot of the other elements of the film, the relationships that uh, Angela, the Zoe Kravitz character, has with other people. The only one that really stands out for me is the one that she has with a neighbor who she invites over for sex and then immediately strips the bed while he's still lying in it Mm -hmm. so she can wash all the sheets and just very clearly wants him gone. That resonated for me the way nothing else in the movie did both because it's something I hadn't seen on screen before and because it seemed like that was where Soderbergh was actually taking time with the characters. I love her physical dynamism when she's charging through the streets. I I love her body language and how she makes it work for her. I love what he does with the camera in terms of how he shoots her when she's alone in her room in her safe space versus how he shoots her when she has to go outside. I think there are a lot of fun elements to this, but that full throated, like full bore enthusiasm that you're experiencing, Scott, I, it, it honestly just baffles me. It's, <laughs> it's like listening to somebody who I know for a fact is a, uh, a foodie and, uh, like a gourmet diner telling me like how this Pringle was like the best experience he'd ever had.
2: <laughs> hey, That's a pretty damn good Pringle. I mean, like, you know, I, I would say, I mean, I would say say that your reaction to this movie is kind of similar to my reactions to other steven soderbergh films of late which feel clever but under invested Mm. right i mean that's kind of a issue that i've been having with his work is that he just he produces a lot of stuff he gets his you know he produces the oscars last year he does he, he directs little project here and little project there something for this streaming platform something for that streaming platform and he's in kind of like experiment in different mediums and he's just a very curious Person and, and has kind of an experimental streak, but there is a sense like, where is, are we getting like 50% of your time here? Like, uh, you know, are, where is the Soderbergh of like Sex Lies and Videotape, which which just felt in wholly like somebody making a film as if they were never going to make another one? Well, no one's going to tell, you know, Steven Soderbergh's going to be able to make movies wherever he wants because he knows how to make movies wherever he wants and people want him to make movies. However, this is not the case for the <laughs> in this movie and i think one one thing i would say in the, in its defense with regard to the familiarity of it is that is that the really important benchmarks for me are, are those movies are blow up the conversation blow out those are the, and i think i feel like where the film stands out and what's important about those movies is their relationship to the time right and so and so what what kimmy is doing is kind of marking time Using the kind of architecture of those previous films. Right. And so, and so, you know, a film like say, you know, the conversation is kind of, kind of getting into that seventies, you know, paranoid anti-government mood that was kind of, you know, gripping the country and, and, and blow out as kind of a little bit of that, but more, but updated, in, in, you know, to the end of that decade and into, you know, and it gets into stuff like Chappaquiddick and, you know, obviously the, the, the bicentennial and all of these you know, ideas about America and where it was headed at that moment. And I feel like Kimmy, which of course is, is being made quite a bit later that quite a bit after all those, those previous three, you know, is now using this form or this, uh, these, these basic ideas to describe to us, you know, this world that we're in now, uh, this world in which our, our privacy is being violated, you know, it, it's, I mean, I think it's going to be an interesting movie to look at 10 years from now. You know, because it's on it. I mean, the fact that it actually is open to what the world is like now to live in is so important, and it is going to give the film so much value. Because we're missing this point, we're missing this moment, we're blowing it. You know, I mean, this is the most important moment of our lot li- of our lives in terms of uh, you know the, the the pandemic. We've experienced a trauma in and in a kind of a, a landscape changing event. I mean, nothing is like, nothing is like that. And hopefully nothing will be like that in our lifetimes. And and it's like, you got to have a camera on that and you have to have artists who are willing to square up to that. And, and, um, you know, you, you want American artists to square up to that. And, and and Soderbergh is at least trying to do that, you know, and in a subtle way and in that kind of subtle fleeting way that he does. And, and, And there's something just the deafness of this movie, you know, it's lightness of touch, you know, the, the fun of it. You know, it's kind of miraculous, you know, you know, and I think that, you know, in addition to having, a lot, I think a lot of things going on. So, yeah, I'm in, on board with Kimmy. Cool.
0: I should <laughs> say as a sort of an aside to all of that, we did talk a fair bit about what to pair Kimmy with. And we were very, we were interested in Rear Window, but obviously we just did that with Woman in the Window. We seriously considered the conversation and the only reason we steered out of that was because... Comparatively, uh, a small percentage of Kimmy is devoted to that kind of, like, specifically the the audio tuning, the the figuring out uh, what's going on in the conversation. We really were going to do blowout, like that was the one that we had settled on. But Run Lola La Run came to me just almost by accident when I was thinking about the visual of what Zoe Kravitz looks like charging around the street, and in the end, it just feels like the audio detecting of a crime and the investigation of it that happens here and that takes up a lot of blowout. Ends up being a very small percentage of Kimmy compared to the amount of time she spends on the run. So that's that's why we decided on Run Lola. I also just felt it was a like a less examined film that would be more fun to no, revisit. I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm not i
2: criti- not criticizing the no, choice. No, 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 no That's do, not what I'm I do saying think it's in that at all. Yeah. I'm,
0: I'm saying people uh, specifically do ask, like, what else did you think about pairing with this movie? And I'm just kind of walking through our kind of our timeline and our conversation about that because a because people are interested and b because it was a hard choice here you know there were there were a lot of choices we could have made but as i say that's all on the side like Mm -hmm. to your specific point i see what you mean but at the same time i like i don't know i i have some big quibbles with it and maybe it's something uh, we need to take a breath with and come back to after a short break (laughs)
2: Hello, this is Angela Child. I was just wondering if Miss Chowdhury was in yet?
1: Ms. Chowdry is not in just now. Did you send the report? No, not yet, but I will. Do you have any sense of when she'll be back?
2: Hello again, this is Angela Child calling. Yes, I was wondering-
1: Yes, Ms. Child, I recognize the number. I'm afraid she's still not free. It might be easier if you just came in. You're in Seattle, I see. Yes. Fine, just come down to the office in about an hour. Bring the recording, and if she isn't available, I can't come I'll- I can not May I ask why not? Yes, because it's not convenient. Well, you can tell her that I will be available all
0: day, okay? Okay, Miss Child, I will do. Thank you. So, we're back here. Here's the thing, Scott. I can accept everything that you're saying. It makes sense to me. I can see that you're passionate about it, which is compelling, but it just sits for in such a strange place for me, having just listened to you talk about how one of the big problems with Run Lola Run is that it has all these big ideas, but it deals with them in a very shallow and glancing way. Because to me, Kimmy deals with all of these questions, privacy, tech, corporations malfeasance, the presence of convenience in our lives and how it overshadows uh, all of these other considerations, our safety, our lives at hiding at home. The movie definitely does spend more time on that sense of isolation and living in a space that you feel like you can't escape than it feels like it spends on any of these other topics. But just Mm -hmm. so many of the things that you're talking about, being excited that Kimmy touches on It touches on an extremely shallow and glancing way and just doesn't feel like it does much with it to me.
1: Well, I feel like it. That was kind of the criticism I was getting at it, uh, with my opening re- remarks, too. And I feel like all of that is just there in the setup. And this movie feels like very divided into like acts, you, you know, and I did find the first act of this movie to be the most compelling because it is kind of giving us this this setup of, you know, that has all these these ideas that you're talking about, Tasha, what with what she does and her agoraphobia and the COVID of it all. And there's just like a lot there. And then this, then she overhears this murder happen, and it becomes kind of a more straightforward chase thriller type film, and all of that stuff that is set up, it, like it's not that it's not there anymore. It's a it kind of it, it's very woven into the fabric of the film, but there's just like nothing that comes after. I feel really pays it off. It, it just becomes kind of like a vigilante kind of. Revenge type story and all of that compelling stuff in the setup is just left as setup.
0: I think that there are places where the movie shorthands in very neat ways. Like I don't need a big lecture about the fact that the CEO of this startup company is first seen on screen talking to a TV reporter. And when you see he- What he's doing from the side, like on the zoom screen, you see very clearly he's got like a big bookcase behind him. Mm -hmm. He's clearly wearing a suit, but then Soderbergh gives it to you from the side. He's sitting in his garage. The bookshelf is a backdrop. He's wearing pajama bottoms below his suit. Pretty much everything that he's creating is, is a fiction And he's like living a live at home life. I don't need that explained or spelled out in any way. I I don't think that that's something that needed more in this movie than it got. I, I think it's very neat the way it's done and it's at the length it needs to be. The bigger questions, though, specifically about convenience versus privacy, about the lies that corporations tell for their convenience and then don't get called on and don't get caught on. A lot of that stuff to me, it's too big and too important to be kind of like, you know, thrown on the table like a coaster and then have a drink (laughs) set on it and otherwise be ignored for the rest of the movie.
2: Yeah, I. okay. Um, so I mean, the beginning of the film, I think, is the scene with the CEO and the, the angle that you get is to me, you know, the first of so many examples in the film of deafness. I mean, that—that's kind of like the word I would use to describe the whole experience of Kimmy. Is like we'll we'll talk about Run Lola Run in more depth later. But you, but I think there's a kind of a look at me quality to Run Lola Run—a deliberate showiness and aggression to it that's kind of built in. I mean, that's uh, that you know. Whereas I feel like with Kimmy, it's like a, a film of just supreme confidence of somebody who who absolutely is an absolute master filmmaker who doesn't need to press for effect who can kind of who can kind of just give you who can really work you through this story with a tremendous amount of speed and actually do give you i think a decent amount to chew on while also making a film that i think is just on a surface level hugely entertaining i mean i you know when you know maybe maybe at a certain point it does kind of break down into you know, kind of a thriller or a comic thriller. I think that I think that's an important element is that is that these are end up being kind of bungling criminals and there's and then there's like and then a lot of the effects of that last of the climax it's just. I mean, it's just pure entertainment to my mind. You know, the between the music cues and and uh, you know a lot of the you know almost physical comedy of it and the tension too. I th- I just thought all of that just worked. You know, just worked as just cinema. Uh, as for the themes of it, you know, again, it's just like. I don't know we, we need uh, filmmakers to um, dig into you know some of these issues but I, I don't know if we need to needed a film like Kimmy to ruminate on them mm-hmm. uh, it just needs to kind of make it's just all of the, all of these issues are part of the fabric uh, of the movie and even the way that she moves around the the, the city and the way that's tracked and the way people just talk to each other and communicate with each other and, in under you know, and sometimes in insidious ways, I mean, all of that is just, again, worked into the fabric of the film as part of the deafness of the film and is not something that Soderbergh wants to, or, or even needs to ruminate on it. Just, it's all there and it's all, it's all feels as easy as, is breathing. I mean, there's just something kind of so just satisfying about craft on this, uh, on this level.
0: I just feel like this movie needed more, like, flash photography shutter <laughs> montages of the various people that she encounters. Where was like, the
1: giant plane the- of glass? Think of what Soderbergh <laughs> could have done with that.
0: <laughs>
2: I do like that. That could
1: have been fun. I, more, even more than
0: that, though. the woman who uh, participates in her kidnapping in the public space, I just want to see a little flash of, like, various futures for that person, because, like, I mean, I don't mean to overstate. Like, oh, no, I I really want that character. I want to know about more more about that character and how that character exists. But like, there is something about the the glancing nature of that interaction that does make me curious. Like, what the Tickver approach would have given us as an insight into that person's life. You know, this this movie has no fat to spare mm-hmm. for other people how how this particular gangster became you know the wolf of his uh, like seattle enclave in terms of taking care of problems like why the ceo knows a bunch of euro trash gangsters who are like eager to murder people um oh, there's, seattle.
2: there's a lot it's, just, it's a grunge <laughs> scene
0: <laughs> there's a lot going on here that, that we don't necessarily need to know and like yeah yeah i see all of your point i just i guess i just didn't feel it when I was watching the movie. What about
2: Rita Wilson here? Come on, you are like what well, that's What about that stuff? Incredible! I mean, that's like that's like uh, McFadden in uh, in the assistant level, <laughs> which know.
1: Tasha also did not care for, as I recall. <laughs> maybe um, maybe not maybe not the right uh, example well, in this for case. For
2: me, I would bring it up just of a, 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 a particular type of threatening corporate person. Who's happy to have you in the office and and discuss these important issues and then is uh, doing everything possible to uh, undermine you and, and uh, hang you out to dry. There's such a kind of a nice, you know, smiley menace to that performance. I thought it was excellent, really potent.
0: I certainly think there's an interesting thing in this movie about how the kind of core conflict comes down to... Like a very small and like not physically presupposing woman on her own against some very powerful and thuggish men, and the fact that Soderbergh also slips in several women who undermine her, who participate in her capture, who deliberately go out of the way to lie to her and get her in trouble, I think is a nice touch. You know, I I'm glad that he's aware of that and that this doesn't just feel like. You know, yet another scary men menace weak woman kind of uh, kind of narrative. She almost feels outside gender, like her whole kind of like gender queer presentation thing that she has going on reminded me so much of of Run Lola Run. That's I really do think these films have a ton of things in common. But in the beginning, it was just the hair for me and <laughs> and the body language of her running around town.
1: I did. I did have questions about her root maintenance uh, and how <laughs> it uh, squares with her agoraphobia. If she is, if that is all a home dye situation, good for her. <laughs> <But> <laughs>
0: it's it's a pretty dying, but I mean she's a very capable
1: and and resourceful. That's true. That's lady. true. She can figure out bleach. I'm sure. Also, there's some, uh, there's some good ass like dye kits uh, that you can get at home these days. That's true. That's true. I have to say, uh, like Rita Wilson, like obviously I, I sat up. as was like, oh hey, Rita Wilson. Like that. I guess that scene just didn't like hit me as as hard as it seemed to to hit hit you scott it it didn't feel like a necessarily a one scene wonder to me Mm -hmm. more than just like oh hey Reed Wilson's here. That's fun. Uh, but I was really pleased to see Jamie C- Camille as the uh, sort of lead local gangster, uh, Antonio. Were either of you Jane the Virgin watchers? Oh,
2: right. I knew I knew him from somewhere. Yeah. I didn't watch a ton of it. But yeah, I, I did recognize Definitely him. Definitely a,
1: a standout on Jane the Virgin right, yep. as, Isabel, as yeah. Rogelio. And this role is like very different different as a character, but he brings the same sort of like light comedic charm to the performance that I associate with him and, and like him so much for. And it, just like there's a lot of little like interesting, f- frankly, fun casting moments throughout this film. I, uh, David Wayne pops up. he yes. Daily pops up. I mean, I'm not going to call Erica Christensen's <laughs> performance as the murdered woman necessarily fun, but it's like, oh, yeah, Erica Christensen. Haven't, what's she been up to? Yeah,
2: but working again with Soderbergh.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think the casting is just like sort of another element where it's like, you know, a fun and confident and nimble movie in a lot of ways. And the, that extends to sort of these unexpected-ish casting choices that in practice, you're like, oh, no, it's not unexpected at all. That totally works with, with the the vibe of this movie.
0: I just feel like the vibe of this movie is uh, like touch a color on the twister pad, like get in, get out, be done. You know, there's I just don't feel much like lingering there to get tangled up in in what's going on. And the reader role in particular, it's just like, that is somebody that I might like to know a little bit more about in terms of how much she knows, how she lives with herself, what we're supposed to make of it. And the movie is so Angela-centric just in terms of if it doesn't touch her, it doesn't matter. To the degree yes. that that we have that guy, Kevin, like showing up at the end, we have no context for him except seeing him as as some eyeballs peering out of uh, another window and I find that fun. I find it hilarious because it basically is kind of underlining uh what a creep uh Jimmy Stewart is being in Rear Window. It it mm-hmm. feels like that entire character is a commentary on, oh no, this isn't the uh like the noble hero who's saving the day. This is like a weirdo stalker who's spying on you. And then when he tries to get involved, that's actually also pretty weird. So I like yeah. I like that aspect of it, but I just feel like the movie's asking a lot of us to be emotionally involved with Kevin and Kevin's arc when he shows up for the first time, like I don't know, ten minutes before the end of the film, maybe fifteen. I like all that stuff, though.
2: That's all good stuff. I mean, like you're asking for it to spend. Well, you're asking for it to do two things. I definitely don't want it to do. Yeah. <laughs> you're asking. You're asking it for to add more time, so we can to spend with any number of the characters, and you're asking it for less time. You're asking it for it to change its perspective, which is which is Angela's, and so I and it, which would, I, is also a big mistake. And so those are a choice; those are really strong choices that you have to kind of commit yourself to, in my opinion. You know, and I think they're strong and, and valid choices that make the movie work. And I think that they're just naturals for the film. I mean, in terms of like you talk about the rear window connection, that reversal is, I think, one good reason to justify the rear window approach. And the other one is just logic it's just like it's just you know if you're david Kep and, and steven soderbergh and you're thinking about this type of a plot in set in this type of a setting you know when we're all kind of living in our homes and um, we're kind of stuck there yeah the, the, the rear window then becomes a natural because it's like okay you know you, you look you know everyone is in their apartment and we can kind of see into those rooms and all those rooms are a movie just as they were w- with hitchcock and and um and we're observing, you know. We're observing almost out sort of boredom of other people's lives. Now, which is kind of what, what you know. I mean, there's a, there's an element of sexual interest on Jimmy Stewart's part when he kind of looks across that courtyard. Um, but there's also kind of a, a certain amount of boredom, and that that plays a part as well of people just being stir crazy in their homes here, not able to go anywhere, and kind of getting some sense of how of how other people are living their lives by kind of looking across the way. Um, so I thought that was meaningful as well.
1: I I mean, I'll I'll defend the the Kevin thing uh, from from a different angle in that I think it's it's pretty clear that he's an an echo of of Angela. Like this isn't confirmed, but I think the way he is presented to us, we are to read him as being in a similar situation as Angela, and not the ever leaving his uh, apartment and his window until the. Need to save someone forces him out. And, you know, that's what gets her out, or not, I guess, at that point. Is she saying, no, she, she no I guess she's, she's trying not saving to avenge. Anybody. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, but but it's, it's you know, in service of someone else, I guess, mm-hmm. that, that drives her out of the apartment. And it's the same thing that gets him out of, out of his. So I think just as sort of a, you know, structural character choice that played fine for me, I didn't res- necessarily even really read kevin as being a creep in a in a rear window and like looking at her in a a rear window type of way i felt like he was just watching her the way that she was watching everyone else The way that uh, she even says to her mom at some point when when her mom kind of says something about the all the the guy in the window you know and i don't really like that and she was like It was a pandemic. It's what it's what we did, you know, and I think the implication is that for certain people being able to maintain that distance in our in our social lives is maybe appealing and it takes something major to shake us out of it.
0: I should clarify, I am definitely not saying uh, this movie would be better with more Kevin. And earlier, Kevin, and, uh, <laughs> like, d- does Kevin have any pets?
1: Like, what, what was Kevin's favorite book in eighth grade? Like, I, I don't need more Kevin story. I'm sure Kevin is a cat guy. <sighs> I don't know why. I just, I know it.
0: <laughs> uh, I just, I, I don't need the movie to be longer either. I'm sort of just citing, like, places where, for me, I found it, like, difficult to engage because it's just, it's sort of an odd way to tell a story. And... I see how it's a deliberate choice and I appreciate that. Uh, It's just a deliberate choice that I didn't fully engage with. I'm kind of down with Kevin showing up to save the day and, and failing at it because I think that's just kind of a fun dynamic. Again, paralleling him with Jimmy Stewart in rear window, there is sort of a sense of like he, he shows up and in another story, he would be like the avenging angel who saves the day, but no oh, he's an ordinary person so he shows up and he manages to get himself in a mess he knows nothing about and he gets himself very badly hurt and then he can't do anything further i think there's a sub- oh, he stabs the guy there's a sub- well okay eventually i think there's a subversive yeah, humor to all of that yes but i mean also just his presence in general i think there's a subversive humor too
2: yeah i mean not even subversive, just humor. It's funny. Like, this is a, like, this, like the film is funny in the way the, the, like the climax is funny and you know, the songs kick ass. I don't know what, to, <laughs> what to, like, it's just like, I just like, I mean, the sabotage moment was incredible. And then, and then the, and then the Elastica song comes on and that's awesome. Like I'm just, as like having, I just had a good time, you know, it was like, <laughs> like, like just fundamentally, you know, this film entertained the hell out of me. And then on top of that, I think it's got so much so many other things that it's kind of playing with, you know, that that, that make it kind of wor- worth puzzling over, I guess, as we are on the show. But but, um, you know, if it loses a little bit and you know, have to lose a little bit of depth in order to justify kind of that genre punch of it, uh, of it all of the just the tightness and speed and, and economy, uh, that's fine. I mean, because I think there's plenty to I think there's plenty to chew over thematically. While also just like really enjoying it as a film. I mean, I just, I, you know, I just had a great time just as entertainment. I thought this film just succeeded wildly.
0: Well, I think there's also a lot to chew over when we get into connections between these two movies. But just as a, a quick tag out as we uh, as we head for the door, can I complain yet again about uh, Second Coconut Syndrome? And the idea that a woman traumatized by assault to the point where she's got PTSD and doesn't want to leave the house would be cured of her PTSD by being viciously assaulted a second time,
1: like that's in something- her house, in her <laughs> house. Yeah, I, I mean, remember
0: the co- coconut part? I, it's it's something that I complained <laughs> about specifically in in Woman in the Window, which does the exact same thing that Kimmy does here. Where she experiences a second profound trauma, and uh, like the amnesia from the first coconut hitting her on the head goes away when the second coconut Aversion hits her.
2: Therapy. That's what
0: it's so now she's, uh, now she's claustrophobic and she can't spend time in her own house because it terrifies her. Agoraphobic. I guess.
1: No, no. Now <laughs> oh, she's claustrophobic. Oh, 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 I, see, I, see, I see. It flipped I see. a
0: switch. Oh. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just. I understand why we would do it that way for the sake of narrative brevity, as with so many other things in this movie. But he even makes the point of showing, here is the bouquet that her F buddy shows up with. Here's the same bouquet, only slightly wilted. It's only been a few days. And she's just skipping around town being all Georgie girl and, uh, you know, complete with a cheerful 80s tv show ending freeze frames i just what the hell what? is no, with that God. ending whoa
2: whoa whoa no 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 no, no! you can't say the freeze frame's awesome all you right scott why is
0: that is is the best this? thing no, ever we can't do
2: this just I tell know. me well he's he's done that before he's like this is this is, he, he likes to he, he, look at uh out of sight that's got all kinds of freeze frames no no the freeze frame's is good no the ending is lovely don't, don't uh no I, I i put my foot down at this at the at the
1: <laughs> I, I I will I will settle into my space here in in the middle ground and uh, <laughs> I guess d- defend uh, the lightly defend the the second coconut problem by saying like A, I, I think it's uh, a little hyperbolic to say she's skipping around town singing Georgie Girl like she's uh, she's meeting him outside in f- her apartment in front of the food truck like it's a, it's a baby Modest step goals. but also I think like the whole idea of what she is doing and pursuing. Brad or, or trying to, you know, seek punishment for him can easily be applied to her own experience uh, with assault and kind of projecting herself onto the Erica Christensen character and what happens to her and, and resolving in a way, violently resolving, but resolving what happened to her. She is maybe able to like cleanse herself of uh, what happened to her or, or get some closure that uh, She she was in need of. I definitely understand and agree with, to a certain extent, the sort of the neatness of that being a little off-putting. But I also want to push back on the idea that it is quite as big a 180 as you described it to be.
0: Oof, it's been I set up it
2: earlier in the movie.
0: It feels <laughs> awfully, awfully facile to me. I like the fact that the movie does not give us all that much information about her assault that that doesn't become the center of the story or her story but i think if you are going to like draw those kinds of thematic connections in terms of you know facing her fears and and that is also again something that that happens in copycat you know facing this particular serial killer is what traumatized you so like facing this copycat serial killer is what fixes you i think if you're going to draw that kind of parallel you actually need to do the character and background work and just to say like, oh, it's it's a, a psychological parallel that lets her like deal with the trauma of her own experience doesn't feel like it holds as much water if we have no idea what her experience is. So like, again, I don't want the film to spend 10 minutes detailing what happened to her. I think it's great that the film skims by that and just leaves it as, as red that, you know, uh, women go through traumatic experiences because that's part of living in the world. Like everybody goes through traumatic experiences, but women specifically a lot more likely to get assaulted in the kind of way the the movie is implying. I'm fine with skimming over that. I'm not necessarily fine with using the fact that we skimmed over it to skim over the resolution of it as well. There's a lot a lot of skimming in this movie. Mm. You know what other movie that could be said about? Well, there sure as yeah. heck is a lot of skimming in Run, Lola, Run. So we'll be back after this break to talk about the connections between those two movies and how each of them skims off the surface and, uh, you know, walks off with a great big bag of cash in the end. time for connections when we bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common uh it appropriate to two like very short very small movies i feel like we've got a bunch of very short very small connections here you want to kick us off with one scott
2: <laughs> well there's the hair they, they, do, <laughs> they do have some nice hair
0: and both short hair <laughs> very yeah, short, short hair. very bright hair um, i except you know zoe kravitz uh clearly knows how to brush your hair i wouldn't have and, a whole uh, lot to talk
2: about in real life, uh, those two, uh, except except how cool their hair is, <laughs> um, and, but but I think I think one the the thing they do have in common, uh, which of course you know, it was a pleasure for us to experience after some, uh, watching some incredibly long film films for this podcast recently is that they're quite, they're short and they're, and they're fast and and they both put a premium on those qualities, you know, and they're willing to kind of let the, some more, some elements, whether you consider them extraneous elements or, or elements that maybe th- make the films seem too thin. Um, they're willing to sacrifice that for speed. So, uh, you know, and they're both about, you know, showcasing directorial style. But, but I think the difference here uh, has to do with where these filmmakers were in their careers. Uh, you know, this is run the little run is very much of an attention getting exercise from a young filmmakers. It feels like a young person's movie uh, as Tasha got into her into it in her keynote run the little run was part of this new filmmaking Collective was trying to kind of redefine, or, or at least give a, a new definition to cinema and and and, and in, in its place on the on the global stage, and it, and it has that kind of excitement built into it of just excitement for its own sake, really. Uh, whereas uh, Kimmy is from a filmmaker who's been around. I mean, he's he's been making movies uh, since the late '80s and has been making them at an ex- extremely a fast clip and in a lot of different. Forms and in formats, and uh, and who's always kind of I- I experimenting, but but there is a part of it that is aestheticized in the sense, like you know, it's it doesn't feel like it's a mistake that it's the length that it is, that it is ninety minutes. There, there does it. It almost reminded me a little bit of that Wes Craven movie Red Eye, which I really like a lot too. Another like ninety minute thriller, but uh, almost sort of demonstrated was sort of it feels like this is Soderbergh's way of demonstrating what kind of experience that that's like of, of just of, of really kind of a, a no fat thriller in the hands of, of a very good filmmaker. And of course, at this point in his career, um, he has the, the ability to make it like this, to make it, to make it seem, at least to me, you know, as easy as, you know, breathing the air. It just, it has that kind of just serene confidence to it, even though the pace of it's really fast.
1: Yeah, during the the first half of, of this discussion, when we were talking about Kimmy and kind of uh, you, you, you two were we were, were debating, I guess, the merits of the uh, film's surfacy approach. I was I was thinking how like Soderbergh arguably like has earned that approach, and like it's almost expected of him. Like I, I feel like a Soderbergh film. I, mean, I keep thinking about it in terms of like going to an art museum and seeing like a like a van gogh sketch you know like a study and it's like it's not the oil painting version it doesn't have the the depth and the richness and the clear Time investment, but there's still so much skill there. It's still beautiful, like on on its own. You know, like there's something to be said about that approach. And Soderbergh, in particular, feels like a filmmaker who kind of gravitates toward that quick, sketchy approach. I, I feel like that's not quite the the right. Word because it implies a sloppiness that I don't think is there at all. But it's a very just like a getting get out approach that he has definitely proven himself capable of, of made high And like he can do the other thing too. Like I think the Nick is a, a prime, a different medium, but like a prime example of, you know, something that does. Maybe a being a different medium is is important there, but of something that where he can kind of dig deeper and richer, and with his characters and his ideas. But yeah, I just I guess want to underline again that I don't with either of these films, I don't think it's like a flaw that they are fleet and maybe quote unquote a little surface level. Like that is. Ju- that is a valid approach. It's, uh, and it's interesting in comparison to other approaches. So I think like when we're talking about like, well, maybe you could have done this, maybe you could have done this, maybe you could have done this. <laughs> like, I think it's just we're responding to that contrast with maybe an approach to filmmaking that we're a little more accustomed to seeing as having merit or be worthy of discussion.
0: I just again, I want to push back on this idea that what I'm I'm demanding of Kimmy is add 25 more minutes of of content. I, know, <laughs> I think there's a response. There there is a degree. Much as there is a contingent of people, loud people in the internet, who think if you have the slightest quibble with something, you're saying it sucks and is the worst. There is definitely a a degree to react to criticisms as though what you're saying is. I need this to be the opposite of that and I need it to be done in this specific way. And there's all of the things that I I feel like Kimmy is light on. In no way am I saying, you know, Soderbergh, you uh, you dope. Like, why didn't you think to put in ten minutes of of Kevin backstory? I do think that these movies both draw a great deal from their their leanness and their fleetness. I think that it's a weapon that both of them wield in terms of making these stories light enough that. They can touch on these topics without necessarily feeling a need to grapple with them or provide answers to to questions. The question of people's relationship with with time and causality is just not something that's going to be explained and uh, unpacked in a, a ninety minute action film. The question of corporate malfeasance is not going to be like solved in uh, over the course of a Kimmy. So. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not asking for these filmmakers to change what they did on my behalf. I'm just saying this is what did not sit well with me.
1: And just to underline, like I was the one asking for the quote unquote asking for that, but not actually asking for that with Run Lola Run. So like I, you know, I'm I'm not shaming you for for that reaction at all because it's one I had. I'm more like kind of exploring what is behind that reaction on on both of our parts. The two different movies.
0: To get away, at least for a moment, of places where I I feel like Kimmy was lacking a little bit or where I felt something was missing, the, the thing that I feel both of these films do extremely well and like just just pitch perfect just right is in the soundtracks scott was talking about this this kind of like sped up filmmaking of like very short movies but all, an awful lot of the sense of speed and fleetness we get in both of these films comes from the music um in Tick first case it's like edm level beats uh, music that he he composed and wrote himself to have this kind of like metronomic drum beat kind of quality to pace at the level of his leads running. In Soderbergh's case, though, this is uh Cliff Martinez again, Cliff Martinez who's been doing music for him literally since Sex Lies and Videotape. And the comparison that Scott was making about Run Lola Run being like a a showy project like by a, a director very early in his career and Kimmy being a like a masterful project by somebody like late in his career Shows up in, in the music in both of these cases. Soderbergh is drawing on music of somebody that he's worked with for a very long time on a very large number of projects and whom he he trusts and can work with. And like Martinez's score here is just it's perfect. It's, it's driving and exciting. It, it, it gives you the mood. It gives you the flavor of, of the story and the pace that it should be working for, the energy it should be working for. Tickver is both creating the music that he he wants and needs and also just kind of showing the hand of a an early in his career filmmaker who maybe not doesn't have that relationship or you know maybe just needs to economize uh, because that is something that an early in their career director has to do in terms of of wearing a bunch of different hats. But however it happens, I love both of the scores of the, these movies and I think that the energy that they both have. The drive the forward momentum, the intensity are a lot of the tone of what we get out of these movies. I am often very down on movies that have scores that push you to feel a certain thing, particularly that push you towards sentiment. you know the the swelling strings now you're going to feel a very specific thing, and we're gonna make you make you feel it by playing this music a lot louder uh, is not a thing that I'm fond of. The horror movie sting with like sudden sharp music to make you jump is not something I'm particularly fond of. But like this kind of adrenalized action movie that has a score that is specifically meant to get your heart racing, whether you whether you notice it or not. I think I fall for it every time. I think it works for me every time, but particularly well here, I think in both of these cases.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think with Martinez, there's kind of a texture that he goes for, you know, sort of ambiance. And, and maybe it's a little bit more, charged up with Kimmy than in some of the other Martinez scores we have in the past. But I think that's kind of seems to be the approach of just kind of, I think it was Carter Burwell who said uh, that he, you know, composes scores like a, a a tailor makes suits, hmm. and I think that's kind of like what Martinez does for Soderbergh. He gives him kind of what he needs, and, and there's never a, a sense of of the score itself kind of imposing itself on the movie, but 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 giving a giving a it, giving it it's kind of just basic feeling and texture. Uh, so I appreciate that, and of course, I you know you appreciate just the the way the the score in Run La, La Run matches you know uh, you know is the pace of the film and and what the film is trying to do just in terms of that very very high energy level um so uh uh yeah i agree that both scores are great and of course i've cited before you know the the song choices in kimmy i think really i really like
1: yeah i was gonna i wanted to briefly distinguish between talking about the score and talking about the needle drops which only kimmy uses uh needle drops but i think 201, <laughs> they are great and and I think provides sort of that underlining that you're talking that, that you know, uh, lesser scores might give us with like a horror movie sting or, uh, you know, the swelling emotional uh, music cues. I think like, and this is another kind of Soderbergh touch, like he uses music, especially pop music in a very uh, purposeful way. And Scott Array mentioned Sabotage. Which was great. The uh, use of connection by Elastica over the end over the end credits was awesome. But even something like the reference to Billie Eilish's Oxytocin, which is, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not a a touchstone for our generation the way it it, it may be for, for younger uh, of viewers but it does have this sort of like added narrative element it's this song that both Angela and Erica Christensen's character Samantha asked Kimmy to play for them and there is that little moment of like recognition uh, on Angela's face when when she hears that so it has that little extra jolt of meaning I guess when when we hear it I think those were like the only kind of big needle drops. I guess the song that's playing over the recording that Angela is listening to. It's a massive attack song, but mm-hmm. I don't think that is like, you know, Quite but well known. yeah. But yeah, and it, this is obviously more of a point of contrast uh, with with Run Lola Run because the there's no such use of needle drops there. It is pure score. And Again, I think both approaches work in the context of the movies they're in. So I guess I'll lead us in to uh, another connection. We we mentioned in the the first half how these are both movies that are like really tied to the perspective of their central character. We are like right next to them <laughs> through the, through the whole movie, but they are also uh, both characters that have relationships that we get glimpses of varying lengths <laughs> into. And uh, they're, for the most part, you know, not the healthiest <laughs> relationships. I don't think there's an uh, outwardly uh, healthy relationship to, to be had uh, in, in either of these movies. But I think maybe we it would be best to just kind of home in on the sort of, quote unquote, romantic relationships that both of these characters are involved in. Obviously, uh, Lola and Manny, we, we dug into fairly deeply on in the first half and sort of their Bonnie and Clyde uh, hyper romantic <laughs> destructive connection, and in Kimmy, uh, I guess like the analog is her relationship quote unquote relationship with her neighbor who she invites over for sex and then strips the uh, <laughs> strips the sheets off uh, immediately after and and basically kicks him out and it's sort of the the opposite <laughs> of codependency, but there is and and it honestly feels. Well, I, I guess I'll ask you guys, do you think that Angela's relationship with in Kimmy is central to her, her story in any way? Or is it just sort of another detail that we're not really given much payoff for?
0: I think it's pretty central. I think that her intimacy issues around Terry, like the fact that he wants more than she does are pretty key. I think the her desire to join him in doing normal things in normal spaces is pretty important because mm-hmm. if her only drive to get out of the house is for like heroic protagonist reasons, mm-hmm. she stops being quite so real to us. Yeah. The the way the conflict, the opening conflict with her agoraphobia is set up where she lightly promises Terry to like meet him downstairs for a meal at the food truck and then she can't. And we see every aspect of her struggling with that, but we also see him for whom, like the whole thing is just a promise unmet, and he he got stood up, he got ghosted effectively. We see him like repeatedly get cross with her over what she isn't offering him or can't offer him. And one of the things I kind of like in the movie is that what he wants is very reasonable. you know, he is not. He's not over demanding. He, he doesn't want her to come rob a grocery store with him or, or get him 100,000 marks on no notice. He just wants her to do what she said she would do mm-hmm. or talk to him for five minutes after sex, as opposed to kind of running him out the door. And the fact that I, I think one of the most interesting things about the relationship in Kimmy is the fact that we see that she's struggling to make it more. And that she doesn't fully have the capacity to, but then she I don't know if I want to say makes herself or allows herself, she watches the impact that it has on him. She stands at the window and uh, spies on him as he responds to his frustration over how he she's treated him, and because they kind of share this space because his window is right there and she can't prevent herself from looking into it, she's like intimately aspected into a part of his life that's maybe none of her business and that only makes things worse as far as their relationship conflicts go. And like I do, I like the simplicity of that just in terms of he wants something she maybe wants it, maybe doesn't can't offer it in either sense. And then just kind of has to like stare at him and, and watch what happens as a result and then the, the moment when he closes his curtains and shuts her out just feels like such an attack on her in a way that yelling at her wasn't. It's just, you know, sealing off his life from hers in a very definitive way that he so much has the right to do. And yet it, it just feels like such a slap. I really like the way that whole thing is orchestrated, maybe more than anything else in the movie. I like that relationship, how it's drawn, what it comes to.
1: And it just occurred to me, uh, sitting here, that uh, both of these films open with the protagonist letting down their lover, not not showing up when they said they were going to. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, And maybe atoning, like there's a desire to atone for that. I think in the case of Kimmy, it's a little more... It's not as uh, maybe transactional <laughs> as it is in in uh, Run Lola Run, where she's like has to make it up to him in the form of getting a hundred thousand uh, marks. But in Kimmy, I f- well, I guess if you think about her inviting him over for sex uh, shortly thereafter, maybe there is sort of a feeling of making it up to him. But to sort of in the the grander scheme, her Uh, atoning for it is that last scene and her finally like coming out and and meeting him like she said she was going to
0: I don't know I think the filming of the sex act like the way it's done like focused in on her face Mm. she's she's on her belly yeah. she's not looking at him her eyes are closed she's just so clearly like focused on the physical sensation and not on him mm-hmm. and then when he tries to deal with her as a person
1: afterwards like she's just yeah. not there for it it did feel more like it was for her than than for him
0: yeah i mean i'm pretty i'm pretty fascinated by a cinema relationship where the guy is getting uh no strings attached sex with an extremely attractive woman and it's not enough for him, and he's unhappy. Like I think that that's a very real human thing that maybe most of us don't see in the media because that's just not how the fantasy is supposed to work.
2: I have nothing to add. I think, I'll, I think <laughs> everything I think everything you all are saying is is spot on, and this is a relationship I think you know that that again is uh, handled economically but with with a lot of nuance and uh, done you know with a lot of kind of visual panache as well i mean all of these gestures you know of her seeing him in his uh, apartment of him closing the the shades as he does those are filmmaking things that play a part as well and and and, uh uh yeah and i think it's i think it's a fascinating dynamic i mean these are these are two people i think who are in any other circumstance would get along right as they do at the very end of the movie i think they're they're compatible they they like each other quite a bit you know and that and then and i think that she is you know, in a position where she is promising him, I think she's promising something that she can't uh, can't deliver. I think she he realizes that that he realizes and frustrated is frustrated by the fact that she's promising something uh, that she can't deliver, but also somewhat understanding of her situa- situation as well. He's not he's not a callous person, uh, but he's he is human and is frustrated. I feel like it's all just a very well articulated kind of small part of the movie.
0: Well, I think that's all true, but I also think that we should look in the direction of wrapping up before this podcast becomes longer than either of the films that we're talking about, which we we uh, literally in are danger. in serious danger of doing that uh, mm-hmm. because these are such fleet films. So um, maybe in the spirit of these movies, we just do a, a like real quick fleet run through of some of the other connections we noticed. I think it's interesting that one of these movies is about somebody trying to prosecute a crime when the authorities in in her life are like not available and not willing to help. And the other two is about a couple of people who are criminals, Um, (laughs) if, if not like full time criminals or professional criminals, at least... One person who's trying to be an amateur criminal and one person who's willing to become a criminal if that's what it takes to uh to protect the per- the person in her life that she cares about so like we're we're approaching a very similar tone very similar energies to some degree similar characters, but from very very different sides of the law here and i I just found that kind of fun
1: uh yeah just a a couple of quick ones uh from me uh that I think we've well, one that I think we've already kind of uh, Touched on fairly in depth, but uh, You know, these are both films with uh, Notable brief encounters uh, uh, In Run Lola Run, we get The uh, the snapshot Montages of the various people that Lola runs uh, across or into uh, <laughs> on, on her on her various Runs, and in uh, Kimmy, it's not as underlined As that, but in her sort of uh, Journey through through the city She does have these sort of bump-ins uh, With, you know, other little potential stories story points i guess that that aren't aren't developed uh but the the uh, i'm thinking of like the protesters uh and the van kidnapping scene which mm, uh was yeah. I, I thought very well done and even just like something like the rita wilson scene it's just a, it's, it's a single scene there's a lot of those sort of like single scene characters in, in, in Kimmy even so her
0: secretary like- who's mm-hmm. responsible for putting Angela off and then has mm-hmm. to face her in real life when she comes in uh, I, mm-hmm. I think that that's like a fun little snippet of a character where you can kind of feel what that person's life is like just having to perpetually make bright-eyed excuses for somebody who is like overtly and obviously dodging the person that's trying to get them on the phone
1: Yeah. And uh, in, in the case of Kimmy, even people who she interacts with kind of regularly because of her situation, there is like a sense of remove and uh, that she is trying to escape that interaction, like with her dentist and with her uh, her therapist and with her mom, you know, um, with her Romanian uh, f- friend uh, slash coworker, you know, like all of these sort of interactions are very like, get in and get out, does not want to, you know, she does not want to spend any more time <laughs> than she has to. And uh, there's also that sort of added sense of remove of them all happening via you know FaceTime for the for the most part, which brings me to another small connection slash point of contrast, which is that phones play kind of central roles, uh, at, at least uh, as a motif, I guess, in, in both of these films. But they are very different phones, and. Uh, the Run Lola Run is by uh no means the only film you could say this about but it is not a movie that works in the age of cell phones <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and Kimmy is a movie that uh maybe only works in the age of cell phones or at least the part where uh she is being tracked uh through through the city through through her phone mm-hmm. um so uh just sort of the the contrast of so much of Run Lola Run being uh set in a phone booth you know him him waiting <laughs> in a phone booth and them you know, having this opening call from a phone booth, and then uh, Kimmy being so modern technology centric, but uh, also that's just like
0: like iconic repeated shot and run, Lola run of the red phone flying through the air. Like mm-hmm. that's what we return to when she gets shot. Is that right. that image of the phone falling and falling and falling, as if. You know, he's saying something about uh, communication, but as also he's like looping back to the moment where she found out that Manny was in trouble the moment that this all began with was with her on the phone. So like repeatedly using that as like a bit of iconography to to mm-hmm. indicate start of this story, I think is interesting.
2: It's, it's easy. It, run a little run is easily adapted to today. You just have to have you just have to have a quick moment where where Benny's like, oh, no, I dropped my phone into a big gulp or something like that. And like and like that's the and then that's
0: feckless loser. He would definitely be the kind of person who would, he would drop I'll his totally phone into a big, in gulp. big gulp.
2: Um, of course, then, you know, all, all of these waterproof phones that are coming out is going to have to come up with some other some other way. It's like, oh, you know, he's got to like, in the, like the whole, like the movie, like the 80 minutes uh, of the movie, it's, it is the phone just sitting in a big uh, thing of rice. <laughs> <until> <laughs> the, the, whole, the
1: whole movie takes place in a tunnel. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. There, yeah. That's, that's your,
2: that that's happened, your Roman actually. Polanski did, isolation. Cell, cellular, <laughs> cellular did that. I don't know if yeah. you remember cellular, right. which was kind of a phone booth kind of the same sort of dealers phone booth but but with a cell phone anyway um I, hey before w- we y-
0: move on i'm just really visually stuck on the idea of manny dropping his phone into like a, <laughs> a 64 ounce big gulp and then like reaching in after it and coming out with his hand dyed like vivid red or blue and like that just being a thing for the rest of the movie you, that yeah. is something that Tick fur would absolutely do
2: he would, he would. And then, and then, and then we'd find out that, that that's the same stuff that she dyes her hair in and it's just all, it's all connected. Um, so, uh, this, <laughs> the, the beverage, very, very red. One thing we did talk about qu- quite a bit already, uh, and in here too was, was, uh, you know, the rear window connection and Kimmy, uh, w- where we have, uh, Kimmy looking across the way and like much like Jimmy Stewart into other people's lives. And then Kevin maybe returning that gaze and and looking into her life. Uh, so there's that. And then of course in run, Lola run, you know, we get those moments where we, where we, where she bumps into someone on the, uh, streets or on her little loop and we get images into their futures, you know, very brief. Uh, but one thing we didn't really talk about much in this conversation about Kimmy is, uh, is angela's job you know and the fact that that all that that her job is all about looking through Mm -hmm. gazing through small windows into people's lives what they listen to uh what what problems they're trying to solve you know what they might be angry uh, about or what kind of silly jokes they might make uh when they're when they're talking to uh their um personal computing what what is it called, a home assistant and so those are those are all like these little Mm -hmm. moments and and um you know you get a nice little range in in the in the time that Soderberg and and Cap sort of want to spend on these things and i think the other part of it is that the other important part is the distinguishing quality of Kimmy why kimmy is not going to be like siri or alexa in that it is not kind of a machine learning thing it is about these errors are being processed by humans uh and all of those human and th- those humans are going to kind of understand things that that, that machines don't understand And it's going to give going to give this piece of technology you know a level of, of of depth and nuance that that um you know other pieces of technology don't have i just find it find that a pretty evocative idea to kind of you know think about i don't know whether it relates the rest of the movie or not? Maybe it does. I haven't. I'm just kind of just now <laughs> thinking of it. But but I do. But it is interesting to me, I, and I think significant that the choice was made that Kimmy would be different from the other technologies like it in this way.
0: I think there's maybe a sense in Kimmy that the job that she has is expressly something that'll let her work on her own at her own pace, remotely, without ever leaving her house. Whereas we have no idea what Lola does for a living. She may be like living off of whatever money Manny makes as a like low level criminal runner, but that puts her in the exact same place of living off of a, a job that will enable her to live lifestyle that she she wants, which in clearly involves a, a great deal of, like like lying around with her boyfriend. We don't really get enough of. I mean, for all we know, she's got a full time job, and this is the weekend. This is just one of the things that the film dispenses with as, as irrelevant and unimportant. But I do think that there's a sense with both of them that they're doing what they're suited for. They're doing what gives them the most freedom and the most ability to, to be themselves.
1: And just one one more quick thing uh, to add about uh, Angela's job. At one point, uh, she says something to the effect, of, like prior to this, she uh, was she moderated Facebook co- comments, mm-hmm. uh, and which is I, I think maybe speaks to or hints at the shit she's seen. <laughs> like like Facebook moderation is kind of like notoriously draining and traumatic for the for the people who do it and what who have to sift through some really horrible stuff. And I think if we maybe kind of weave that into our understanding of uh, trauma that Angela has been through and the maybe urge it has created in her to do something uh, about violence being perpetrated, maybe, you know, that's, that's just another element there.
2: Well, she, I think she also has developed skin thick enough to wear a recording that is this disturbing could penetrate that thick skin and, and get her and, and really alarm her, it has to be significant. Right. So I think, Mm -hmm. I think that makes it, it's kind of almost kind of an important takeaway too, from that, the job she had before. I mean, she encounters, um, probably a tremendous amount of, you know, I mean, when when people have, people are not going to be nice to their kimmies or their alexas or whatever i mean it's not a person it's a machine and if the machine's not giving you the information you want or if you're just having a bad day or whatever maybe you're screaming all kinds of stuff at at this i have definitely
1: yelled at my alexa (laughs) yeah things uh
2: yeah for sure and so um, somewhere there's a
1: person spying
2: on
0: these recordings of you yelling at your alexa and coming up with clever responses to to program in so the next (laughs) time you yell at your alexa it'll have an appropriate response
2: thank goodness for that
0: well, in the same sort of way that the virtual assistants of the world are uh, being reprogrammed to fit our needs, uh, this particular program needs to be uh, limited a little more to fit everybody's needs. We really need to uh, cut this off late. Like, we could go on talking about how uh, both of the female protagonists here have very fraught relationships with their parents and with authority figures. We could talk about uh, like determinism and, and chance and what exactly, you know, shapes the, the way that they they move through the world. We could talk about their body language. We can even talk about why they both dye their hair, like what the Mm -hmm. statement is there just in terms of taking control, you know, seizing control of their their own bodies and their own image in a world where they're both young women living kind of fraught lives who might need that kind of uh, control and independence. But again, we would like to have this uh, podcast be shorter than the movies that we're talking about. So we're failing. We're failing. <laughs> we're we're just going to like crank up the EDM and uh, move on and uh, call it a day. Run the Run is widely available on digital streaming services and available on DVD and Blu-ray. Kimmy is currently streaming on HBO Max. That's it for this edition of the next picture show, but we will be back next week with a new pairing. Genevieve, would you like to set us up for our next
1: episodes releasing on March 15th and 22nd? In the new Koganada film After Yang, an android companion named Yang suffers a catastrophic malfunction. Colin Farrell plays a father who promises to fix Yang for his adopted daughter, but it's not as easy as taking the machine to the local genius bar. And so After Yang quickly becomes a story about grief, and then it becomes a story about family and memory and life itself. Yang may not be human, but the more we learn about him, the more human he becomes to us. Steven Spielberg's AI has the same effect, though the android in that film, played by Haley Joel Osment, lives for much, much, much longer. In his Pinocchio-like quest to find the mother he loves and be a real boy, he becomes more than the sum of his component parts. In our next set of episodes, we'll look at after Yang and AI, and maybe learn a little bit about ourselves in the process.
0: For now, we welcome your feedback on Run, Lola, Run, Kimmy, and anything else film-related you'd like to talk about. Email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net and come talk to us at Patreon, where you'll find feedback, letters, discussion, and recommendations. Before we close out this episode, where can we find everyone these days? Genevieve.
1: I am the senior TV editor at Vulture.com, and you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Genevieve Kosky. Scott?
2: Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Scott underscore Tobias. And you can find, you know, I'm going to bring in Keith here, too, so, since you can you can find him in, uh, on Twitter at, at key, kfips 3000 And you can find both of us writing a lot of stuff for The Reveal, which is the newsletter we do together. That's uh, TheReveal.substack.com dot com um uh, i do other stuff for new york times uh, for guardian for vulture other fine publications keith does stuff for 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 gq uh the ringer rolling stone and other fine publications as well Uh, yeah so that's both of us tasha
0: and keith has a book age of cage coming out at the end of march i am on twitter at tasha robinson i'm the film and streaming editor at polygon.com you can find me occasionally writing about film there Stay updated on The Next Picture Show at nextpictureshow.net and on Twitter at NextPicturePod. Get bonus content and open discussion at patreon.com slash NextPictureShow. And as always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. Thanks to Dan the Bake Jakes for his assistance in producing this podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the film-spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time. (laughs)